those of you who don't know me, my name is Thomas Kovacs. I'm an associate pastor at Summit Bible Church. Our teaching pastor, Morgan Maitland, as has already been said, him and his family are out on vacation. And uh, so I want to introduce myself, and I, it's my privilege and honor to bring the word to you this morning. And usually I like to select a passage and work our way through that, do an exposition of a particular passage. But this morning, the message I want to bring to you is one in which we'll... We'll, we'll look at a, a subject in depth, and we're going to take a concentrated look at the importance of God's Word and our desperate need to be regularly instructed, equipped, and nourished by the written revelation He's given us. God has revealed in the Scriptures everything we need, everything we need in order to know Him truly, relate to Him rightly, and serve him faithfully in this life for his glory and for our joy. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And first we're going to see the nature of God's word. We're going to survey the scriptures. We're going to behold the nature of God's word. Perhaps the simplest description of the nature of God's word is stated by the Lord Jesus himself during his prayer to his father on behalf of his disciples in John chapter 17. He said, your word is truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. And when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, he said to him in John chapter 18, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Well, Pilate said to him, what is truth? Sounds very postmodern of him. People say that today, what is truth? In response to Jesus referring to truth as something that is definite and capable of being communicated and understood, well, Pilate dismissed his claim with a rhetorical question, referring to truth in generic terms. And implying that it can't be known or explained. But Pilate was completely unaware of the fact that he was talking to the Son of God. Who possessed all wisdom and all knowledge. And who had made the world and sustained all things by his power. That's who Pilate was talking to. Pilate was not looking for an answer to his question because he believed there was none. He did not realize that there was indeed an answer to that question, and it was standing right in front of him. Jesus had previously stated to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is truth? No, really, what is truth? Well, the basic di uh, dictionary definition is as follows. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. What is reality? Well, it's the state of things as they actually are, rather than as they are imagined to be. Who made reality? Who made reality? Who created the world and everything in it? Who rules over all of it? Who controls all of it? Who understands all of it? Simple answer, it's God. Therefore, if I, if I want to get the right answers to the ultimate questions, who is God? Who am I? What is my purpose in life? Why are things the way they are? Where is all of this headed? What will happen when I die? How then should I live? If I want the right answers to those ultimate questions, well, then I need to look to God's written word for the truth. All truth ultimately rests with and comes from God. And since God has unlimited knowledge of everything that he has made, and since he is not a man that 
he would lie, but is instead perfectly righteous and good, we can actually trust that every word from him is indeed truth. We can go further in describing the nature of God's word. God's word is truth given to us in the form of God-breathed, written revelation. We read in scriptures, in the scriptures, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is what? Breathed out by God. All of it. All of it is truth. All of it is his word. Now we may wonder, didn't Moses write the Torah? Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Didn't Moses write that? Or didn't David write half the Psalms in the book of Psalms? Didn't Paul write many of the New Testament epistles? Well, how can Scripture be called God's Word if it had human authors? Well, the answer is divine inspiration. We read in 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter writes this, no prophecy of what? Of Scripture. So not just talking about the prophetic word orally given by the prophets, but he's talking about specifically prophecy of Scripture, the written word of God. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the human authors of Scripture were moved by the Holy Spirit in such a way that they composed and recorded, without error, the exact words that God wanted to have written down. That's why we say Scripture is inspired and inerrant. It does not affirm anything contrary to fact. It is without error. Divine inspiration is the process by which God worked through 40 different men from different walks of life over a period of 1,500 years to compose and record for us what we now have contained in the Bible. And altogether, it presents us with one unified message. It's not the product of man. It is God's word. One unified message. And that message presents us with God's creation and ownership of the world, man's rebellion against God and the corruption of the world through sin, God's plan to save sinners by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to make atonement for their sins through his death and resurrection, and God's plan to restore all things under the rule of his son who will return and establish his everlasting kingdom upon this earth. That's the message, the unifying message of Scripture. God is the ultimate author. Yes, he worked through men. Moses did write the Torah. Paul wrote many epistles. David wrote many songs. But the ultimate author is God. It truly is his word. Scripture is his word. It is truth. It is God-breathed. Now, let's look at the benefits of God's word. The benefits. God's word is the means by which, first of all, it's the means by which we are saved. That is, reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ after hearing and believing the gospel. But it's by means of that word that we are saved. And no one can be saved apart from the word of God. This is the means he has chosen. The proclamation of his word, the gospel, we hear it, we believe it, we repent and trust in Jesus, we are saved. The Lord Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And the apostle John wrote at the end of his gospel, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, in the gospel of John, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But you see, it's the written word through which people can come to know Christ and respond in repentance and faith and believe in him and have life in his name. So God's word is the means by which we are saved. 
Not only that is also the primary means by which the believer is sanctified. That is conformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, which is God's purpose for us. God's word is the primary means by which we're sanctified. Jesus prayed to the Father on behalf of his disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That was his prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. God's word does its sanctifying work in us only as we hear it or read it and then submit to it and apply it to our lives. As we do this, Scripture tells us we will be transformed by the renewal of our minds. How are you transformed? By the renewal of your mind. How is your mind renewed? By means of the word of God. By means of his word. Consider Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. He wrote this, But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness To what end? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What are the benefits of God's word? Well, God's word warns us of the wrath of God, which will be poured out upon all people who continue in their sins and rebellion against God. It warns us. God's word shows us the only way of salvation which is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God's Word teaches us everything we need to know about God, ourselves, and the world in which we live. God's Word rebukes us when we stray into foolish and sinful thinking and behavior. In other words, it it calls us out when we are wrong and exposes our bad conduct so that we might be ashamed and recognize our need to repent. We don't think about that one so often, right? The word of God is meant to reprove as well, to rebuke, to call out sin and folly, shine a light on it so that we're ashamed of that and realize that we need to repent. God's word corrects us by showing us how to change and improve our ways so that we may repent and return to the Lord and honor him in our thinking and behavior. That's correction. But before you get the correction, you got the rebuke. Teaching, rebuking, correcting. Ah, training in righteousness. God's word trains us to live godly lives and to rightly handle the moral issues and challenges we face on a daily basis in this fallen world. It trains us. In other words, it it guides and directs us towards godly living so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in us. According to Psalm 119, verse 105, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. What else could we say about the benefits of God's word? Well, we we read in Proverbs chapter 2 that it guards us. Well, how does it do that? How does it guard us? It equips us with wisdom so that we avoid the way of evil and and instead walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. It equips us with wisdom, and by that it guards us. We read in Paul's epistle to the Romans that God's uh, God's word strengthens us and encourages us. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. You know, a lot of what we read in the Bible is about stuff that happened a long time ago. Is it even relevant? Isn't it just so ancient? 
I'm so disconnected from that. Ah, but what's the purpose? Paul says it was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Let's consider the words of David in, in Psalm 19, 7 through 11. So not everything is going to be up on the screen. I'm doing that for convenience. But turn to Psalm 19. There are going to be a few passages we turn to in our Bibles. Psalm 19. And we are going to read verses 7 through 11. So the second half of this psalm. The first half is talking about the Glory of, God, glory of God in, in general revelation through, through the creation. How it glorifies him. The second half focuses on his word, which is superior revelation. So Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, and we'll read through 11. What is said of the word of God? What is said of its benefits? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You notice that the, the quality of the word and what it does for those who yield to it, who believe it, who fear the Lord. So how valuable is God's word? In that psalm, we saw it is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, forever enduring, and righteous altogether. That's the quality of God's word. It's not simply beneficial it is absolutely essential. We read in Scripture this statement, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. From Deuteronomy 8.3, we also see Jesus quotes that to Satan when he is tempting him. He quotes Scripture back. He does not need to turn stones to bread after fasting for 40 days. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So just as we need food to sustain and nourish our body, so we need God's word to sustain and nourish our soul. That's the implication. His word is our spiritual sustenance, and nourishment. In light of this, Peter gave the following exhortation to the church. He wrote, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do you long for God's word like a newborn infant longs for milk? Do you feel spiritual hunger pangs when you, when you go a while without being in the Word of God? Do you know what an infant does when it's been a little while since they've had their milk? Do we long for God's Word in that way? Perhaps you, you feel those hunger pangs, those spiritual hunger pangs, but you, you misdiagnose the problem as stress. Lack of sleep, lack of exercise, lack of me time. Well, maybe the issue is 
I've been detached from the word of God. I haven't been coming before him and communing, communing with him in his word. Job said, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. The prophet Jeremiah said, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. So to to those who love and fear the Lord, God's word is esteemed and enjoyed. It's valued. It is savored. Those who love and fear the Lord recognize the value God's word has and the delight it brings. It is fine dining for the inner man who tastes and sees that the Lord is good. So we've seen the nature of God's word. We've we've looked at the benefits of God's word. Now let's consider what scripture says about the priority of God's word. The fact that God's word is essential, God-breathed truth, that saves and sanctifies us and sustains and nourishes our souls is why we see in Scripture such high importance given to the regular reading of and reflection upon God's Word. It must be the priority of every individual. Psalm 119. Very large psalm. We're going to look at one portion, but all of it exalts the word. It's, all of it is exalting the word of God. That whole psalm does. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. We'll look at this passage, this portion of it. How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Notice the connection between seeking God and his word. You don't seek him. You're not seeking him if you're not drawing near to him in his word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It equips us, strengthens us against temptations to sin. By how? Storing it up in our hearts. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Right? So it's not just about absorbing it, learning it, but, but about applying it and sharing it, declaring it. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And by the way, when you see the word meditate in Scripture, it's not Eastern meditation, which is empty your mind, be one with the universe, whatever, chew on some herbs, I don't know what they do. But it's, it's just vacuum, empty the mind, and somehow you'll be enlightened. You know how moronic that is? Empty the mind and somehow you will uh, attain higher understanding? I don't think so. What does God say? You fill your mind with his word so that it would be renewed and you're transformed. So when you meditate on scripture, you're not opening your Bible and emptying the mind and just, all right, Lord, speak to me. You're reading the word, filling your mind with his word, and you're reflecting upon it. Meditating on it really means almost muttering it. So you're memorizing it. You're, you're thinking it over. You're pondering it. You're not just... Doing my Bible reading. Got it. I got, I'm rushed. Uh, I only got five minutes. Okay. And done. Boom. Read my Bible. Well, you didn't really meditate on it. You, you didn't really ponder it, reflect on it, right? We're to read it thoughtfully. Meditate on it. So we read, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. But you will if you neglect it, right? You've got to keep drawing from the well of God's word. So in order to benefit from God's word, we read benefits. We looked at benefits. But in order to benefit 
receive those benefits. We need to read the Word of God regularly and often. We must examine it and learn from it. We must declare it. Any of you study to prepare for a lesson to teach others, your children, a class? Don't you end up getting a lot more out of it because you're studying it to teach it, to declare it? We must declare it. We must meditate on it. We must store it up in our hearts so that we do not forget it. To say it more succinctly, we, we need to make it our regular practice to read, study, and internalize God's word. Internalize it. doesn't mean just straight memorization. You can do that. But did you know the more you're in it and you're saturated in the Word of God, it will dwell in you. It will be internalized. That's the goal, for it to dwell richly in you, that you would not forget it. So if we read, study, and internalize God's Word, the result of that is that God's Word will produce its sanctifying and satisfying effects in us and through us for our good, for the good of others, and for His glory. Read, study, and internalize God's Word as a pattern of life. And you will be blessed. Not as a one-off. Oh, i got to prepare for a lesson. I'm going to read and study now. No, no. That should be your regular discipline. I am drawing from the word of God. I'm communing, communing with him and his word. Do that as a pattern of life. You will be blessed. Consider the very first psalm in the book of Psalms. The very first one. The doorway, the entranceway into the book of praises. The book of worship. Psalm 1, first three verses. Blessed is the man. Oh, I'm paying attention. Blessings pronounced. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law... He meditates day and night. Day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And you've got to think of that in this way. He prospers according to God. Right? Not according to carnal desires or the standards of uh, ungodly men or people who don't know God, right? But in all that he does, he, pros- he prospers. Do you want to be a Psalm 1 kind of man? Do you want to be a Psalm 1 kind of woman? You want to be blessed? What must you do to be blessed? Delight in the Word of God. Meditate on it day and night. Meditate on it day and night. God has stressed the importance of his word in every home. We're going to look at this emphasis. It is not just one passage. It is all throughout scripture. God stresses the importance of the regular reading and reflection upon his word. He stresses the importance of it in every home. Deuteronomy 6, his law for his people, his commandment for his people is this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. How do they get there? How do they get on your heart? You need to draw near. You need to read and study and internalize the word of God. These words I command today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise. See, it's it's everyday life throughout the day. It's not even advocating for a formal, like, we're going to have family worship time at this time every day. That's a great thing to do, by the way. But this is calling for a lifestyle of being in the Word, reflecting upon the Word, speaking of it. Teaching your children as you go. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What's that all about? Well, it characterizes your actions, your thoughts. It's, it's dwelling in you. It's, it's on your heart. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hey, you could do that literally. 
when you could write them on your door. That's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Great. That's a great verse to have on there. But, but the idea is that the word of God characterizes your home. This is a home that submits to the word of God and that's seen by how we manage our home. Ah. That gives me a thought. It cues up the next point. God's word is important in every home. And, and here's the thing. There are no exceptions. No exceptions. What about someone who's like, you know, I don't know, really busy, really important. Well, okay, let's see what uh, God says for those at the highest level of government. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Yeah, let's, let's pull that up. Deuteronomy 17. This is another one. Of those, it's a little longer, so instead of having it on the slide there, we'll turn to it. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. And this is the part of his law for his people that he can give it, he'd given to them. And in this section, he has essentially given his commandments concerning a king that they will, if they one day set up a king, well, here are his commandments for a king over his people. So before they even had a king, he gave the guidelines. Well, let's, let's look at those guidelines. Verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. In other words, he, he must not look to worldly resources for security, military strength, political alliances, and wealth. What should he look to for security? Stability in his position, the Lord. And it goes on, verse 18. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it, or he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandments either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Hmm. You see how important the word of God is? Holding the office of king. Any kings in here? Didn't think so. Holding the office of king over God's chosen nation did not excuse one from the priority of daily reading and reflection upon God's word. God has stressed the importance of his word for those who are put in high-stress situations and given tremendous responsibilities. You might be thinking, well, the king, yeah, he's got a lot of responsibility, but he's a king, so he's got some luxury too. All right, let's look at someone who has a lot of responsibility and is in a high-stress situation. Here's what the Lord said to Joshua, who had big shoes to fill and a burdensome people to leave. If you, to lead, um, if you turn over to Joshua, so keep... Go right past Deuteronomy to Joshua chapter 1. We'll look at a passage here. But keep in mind who Joshua is. The successor to Moses. Big shoes to fill. And a burdensome people to lead. If you look before even, you know, before, right at the end of Deuteronomy. Uh, here's what it says about Moses. Right at the end, it says, And there has not arisen a prophet since in it, uh, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs 
and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. None like him. None. Uh, Joshua, you, uh, you're taking his place. Okay, so big shoes to fill. And a burdensome people to lead. I mean, even Moses himself, dealing with the people, he's like, kill me, Lord. They're so stiff-necked. They're grumbling. So that's, that was Moses' perspective. So here's Joshua. And, and what is the commandment God gives Joshua? We'll look at verses 6 through 8 in chapter 1 of Joshua. The Lord says, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. How will he do this? Be strong, courageous. Okay. This is stressful. Be careful to do all the words of law. All right. Well, well, what's the commandment? Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What is the key? Being in the word of God all the time. So you thought you had a stressful situation, right? Or job, or responsibilities, loads of responsibilities. Look at Joshua. And it was all the more important that he would be in the word of God day and night. God has also stressed the importance of his word, even for those in spiritual leadership who already know his word very well and have studied it more than most. Here's what we could, we could look at the example of Ezra. We read in, in Ezra about Ezra. Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given The good hand of his God was on him, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So highly trained, and yet his goal, he, he had set his heart to study the word. That was his pattern. And what? To do it and to teach it to others. It was a high priority for him. He didn't get a pass. He didn't reach a level of of study. And it's like, all right, you probably don't need to study anymore. You probably don't need to read the word because, you know, you're you're a scribe. Or in modern times, hey, you're a pastor. You know, you kind of know a lot. Well, it doesn't mean we we neglect the word of God. We, We set our heart to study it. We need it. Everyone needs it day and night. Consider the qualifications for pastors, elders, overseers. Same office, same position, different names. Pastor, elder, overseer in the church. Well, what's one of the qualifications? Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And leaders in the church will hold firm to God's word only as they remain in it, reading it and studying it, and as they remain under it, faith and obedience. There are many Bible scholars or church leaders that clearly have set themselves over the word, and they don't submit to it, and they become arrogant and just pick and choose what they have determined is good for righteous living or wise the one who fears the Lord needs to always be under the word. doesn't matter the position. doesn't matter the intellect or the study. We are always to come before God like little children that we might learn from him and obey him. God has stressed the importance of his word for everyone in the church. 
Paul wrote the following exhortation to the church at Colossae. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Well, how can you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom unless the word of Christ dwells in you richly? And how is it going to do that unless you're in it daily? And notice also the effect of if it is dwelling in you richly, how it moves the soul to, to sing praises to God with thankfulness. That's the delight we saw earlier. It, 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 it stirs our affections up and increases them towards God, towards his word, and we respond in worship. And be, before Paul gave this exhortation to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell on you richly, he shared with them how he and Timothy had been praying for them. If we looked at the beginning of this epistle. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through the first part of 12, he wrote this. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. But notice how that prayer began, right? That the, what they were praying for was that the Christians, the church, they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How does that happen? Do you just pray for it? You just put this down and just pray, God, give me wisdom. Fill me with your word. Lord, please fill me with your word. I, I want to be wise. I want to walk in a manner worthy of you. No. We won't be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding unless we are going to him and communing with him in his word. And notice the effects. And that's why I love this prayer. When you are filled with the knowledge of his will by means of his word, the result is that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You'll find it hard to honor God in your life, to walk in a manner worthy of him if you're neglecting his instruction, if you're neglecting his word. But the result of being filled with the knowledge of his will by means of his word, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You will be uh, pleasing him. You'll bear fruit. In every good work, and you will you will keep increasing in your knowledge of him. You'll be strengthened. And you'll have endurance and patience. You'll have joy. So the end goal of reading, studying, and meditating upon God's word daily is to hear from God, to behold him as he truly is, and to know him. More and more to know him. Why? So that you may rightly fear him. So that you may walk in all his ways. So that you may love him. So that you may serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. The end goal is not that you would have an inflated mind. Bible trivia champion. But that you would have a softened heart, and a sanctified life for the glory of God. Now it's time for application. Unless you come to a firm conviction that you are dependent upon and need to turn to the authoritative counsel of God's word on a regular and frequent basis, you will be earthly-minded rather than heavenly-minded. You will be spiritually dull rather than discerning. 
We're to be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents, right? We need to be discerning. Think of how that will impact your ability to handle the various challenges and issues of life. Proverbs chapter 3, we read this, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Ah, but so many times we do. So many times we think, I, I, I got this. I know what to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. If I am not leaning on my own, a clear evidence that I'm not leaning on my own understanding and that I'm not wise in my own sight is that I'm drawing near to God in his word, that I'm reading it regularly. I'm coming to learn from him, to seek his counsel through his word. If I neglect his word, by implication, I, I do think I'm wise enough. I am relying on my own understanding, or that default, that's the default. I won't be equipped. Left my own boneheaded understanding. What is the one primary application to walk away with today based on what we've looked at so far? Should be obvious. Read and meditate upon God's word daily so that it may dwell in you richly. Read and meditate upon God's word daily so that it may dwell in you richly. And so that by it you may know him more, be equipped to live a God-glorifying life that is full of good works, and be transformed by the renewal of your mind so as to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. There's the result. Is it your conviction that God's word is absolutely essential for your life. Is that your conviction? Is it your conviction that God's word is immeasurably valuable and abundantly beneficial for your soul? Is that your conviction? Of course, it's, well, it's easy for us to say yes and amen. All scripture, God breathed, amen, brother. Profitable, that's right. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. It's truth. Amen. And we need to affirm these things. Otherwise, we're not Christians, right? We truly fear the Lord, and, and we recognize the authority of his word. It's easy to verbally affirm. It's easy to affirm. So the necessary follow-up question is this. Have you been spending regular quality time in God's word? Is that a pattern of your life? Have you been giving yourself to reading it and meditating upon it often? Is this a pattern in your life or is it sporadic and shallow? If you were to, let's say, take an inventory of your your personal time in God's word, would it reflect that it is a priority in your life? Personal inventory. Tally it up. Does it reflect that it's a priority? Or would it reveal that you spend little to no meaningful time in it at all? Would it reveal that more of your time and attention are given to entertainment or leisure or extracurricular activities or anything and everything else, what would your personal inventory show? Have you been neglecting your need for personal quality time in God's word? Have you been neglecting that? If so, then whether you Realize it or not, or, or acknowledge it or not, you are spiritually malnourished. You're malnourished. This is not good for your soul. It does not honor the Lord. It is not helpful to those he has put in your life that you are called to love and serve sacrificially. 
Just as parents desire their children to eat well so that they are strong and, and healthy and growing, so God desires of his children. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You said the dinner table, it's like, you, you need to eat something other than mac and cheese. Right? We care. God cares about his children. And he wants us to eat healthy. Spiritually. Talking about the word here. The neglect of his word results in stunted growth. We will lack spiritual strength and maturity. We will lack wisdom and discernment. We will lack a heavenly perspective on earthly matters. We will lack effectiveness and zeal in our service to Christ and his church. You ever thought about that? Are you, do you have a zeal in serving Christ and his church? And are you serving effectively? Well, how, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, we're equipped by God's word. Maybe the lack of that would be pointing to the fact that I've been neglecting his word. My growth is stunting. Consider the following admonishment written in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Ouch. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Would that be said of us? Would it be said... Hey, there's much more to explain, but it, it, you know, it's hard to explain to you because you've become dull of hearing. Your thinking's not mature because you haven't been growing up by being nourished in the Word. The Lord has called us to be filled with the knowledge of His will, to let His Word dwell in us richly, and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Have you been pursuing this? Have you been pursuing it? Well, our spirit, your spirit, my spirit, our spirit might be willing, but our flesh is weak. It is weak. Sin still remains in us. And even though we know the importance of the spiritual discipline of regularly reading and meditating on God's word, the desires of our flesh constantly gravitate towards spiritual laziness. Just pull at us. Ugh. Pull us towards spiritual laziness. This is something we all must fight. And we need to work hard at becoming and remaining disciplined with regard to being in God's word. Everyone needs to fight this and work hard. Paul stressed the importance of self-control for the Christian. Here's what he said about he, how he handled the impulses of his own flesh. And this would apply to laziness. What do you say? Oh, I... I discipline my body and I keep it under control. The, the Greek word translated as discipline here literally means to give a black eye or strike in the face or treat roughly. So, next time you sit down to commune with God and his word and you feel laziness setting in, you know what to do. You know what to do to that laziness. You knock it out. What's more important? Now, let's survey some of the warnings and principles from Proverbs regarding physical laziness and apply them to the matter of spiritual laziness. Proverbs 6, 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Hey, sleep's important. But, you know, if you never get up, there's a problem. You're a sluggard. How long will you lie there? And again, let's think about this. 
with spiritual laziness. If I've been neglecting to regularly commune with God and his word, well, there's a spiritual laziness that's set in. And maybe I know that. Maybe I see the good example of others and I'm just like, I just can't get there. And years go by. And I'm still not there. How long? How long are you going to lie there? How long are you going to lie there? When will you arise and start giving yourself to communing with God and his word? Let me, um, one I forgot to put in here, so keep that there on the slide. There was one reference I wanted to include. I forgot to include in here. Okay. Proverbs 22.13, and it, there's a parallel one in 26.13, but 22.13. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. What do you think is happening there? Lame excuse. Excusing it. Excuses. Not even, not even a real excuse. Just, uh, I got to come up with a reason to, uh, I'm not working because, you know, there's a lion outside. There's lions out there. I might be killed. So I got to stay in here and, you know, not work. Sleep some more. Stay in my bed. Well, again, spiritual laziness. What, let's think about some, what are some excuses we have? Oh, I'm too busy. Are you? No, you're not. If you think you're too busy, let's go back just a little bit. What do we look at? I don't know. The king over Israel, God's chosen nation, the most important position on earth, was told to be in the word of God constantly. Joshua, oh, successor to Moses, you know, leading the nation of Israel into military conquest, taking possession of the land. Yeah, but every day and night, you need to be in the word. You're not too busy. Here's another excuse. I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. Yeah, you are. Unless you, you actually don't know how to read, and there are means by which you can learn. I mean, we, we're blessed to be in a, a day and age in a, in a society where we have access to the uh, opportunity to learn to read. But if you, if you know how to read, you are a reader. The re and again, you might be a slow reader. By the way, this guy right here, a slow reader. Um, I, think, I think too much as I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, I'm sick of forever. But I'm slow. And they're quick readers or whatever, but the real question asked is, okay, as a reader, am I applying that skill? Am I applying myself? Or am, am I just not really applying my reading ability? Or am I giving myself to it? You're, so you're either being a, a diligent reader or a lazy reader, or, or a neglectful one. Just, you know how to read, but you, you're choosing not to read. You see that? And by the way, we looked at all the scripture that points to the fact that God expect, calls everyone to be in his word. So no excuse there. Um, maybe another deflection would be, well, you know, it's, it's about having a relationship with God. You know, not just knowing a bunch of facts about God. Let me ask you this. How do you expect to have a relationship with God if you don't know him? If you don't know about him? We have to understand you need to know about him. You need to know what he has said. Otherwise, you're saying, I don't want to listen to him. I don't want to read his letter to mankind, basically, to reveal his mind and his will. The secret things belong to him. What he's revealed is we're responsible to know. And saying, I don't want to do that, but, you know, I, I have a relationship with God because I, you know, I feel that. No, you, you need to know facts about someone as you grow in your relationship with that person. Right? So again, you don't stop at the facts. You don't say, I'm going to scorch somebody in Bible trivia. You know, No, it, it's to move you towards communing with God, to walk with him, to know him more. Remember that prayer in Colossians, be filled with the knowledge of his will. But it says after that, so you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And part of that is you increasing your knowledge of him. You're growing closer in a relationship to him by means of his word, knowing him more through his word. Okay, enough of that. We stamped out some excuses. Ah, we give him a black eye, right? We knocked him out. Perhaps you can think of other excuses. You know what to do with those. Proverbs, uh, next one, 19, 24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. I want that, but uh, it's just so much work. It's hard. I don't like how that feels. I don't like the feeling of Mental work, reading my Bible. I'm exhausted. It's just exhausting. I'm just tired. Here's the thing. You might have the desire to know God more, to grow in your knowledge of Him, 
But sometimes the problem is we just are not willing to do the work that's necessary to do that. Reading his word regularly. Proverbs 13.4 The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Right? If we have the craving to know God more, if we desire to know more, we need to be diligent that we might achieve that. We need to get in the word, commune with him regularly. Otherwise, we'll, we'll be like the sluggard. We will constantly crave, but just get nothing. We'll keep getting nothing. Because we have the craving, but we're doing nothing to satisfy it. Not what we're called to do. Almost done. Proverbs 24, 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Similar to the previous one, right? If I want to taste and see that the Lord is good, if I want to experience all those benefits and blessings, I have to do the work of uh, communing with him. I have to give myself to time and his word. Then I will reap those blessings. But I can't expect to reap those apart from the work of reading and reflecting upon his word regularly, frequently. Final one. Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Listen, you neglect the word of God, your life will look like that. That will be your life. Because you have neglected the very thing you need, you'll have a a mess. And and an, uh, an unnecessary one. You'll have trouble in this world, yes, God ordained circumstances outside your control, a lot of times we just make a mess. We choose to make a mess of our life because we neglect the very thing we need. The word of God. So how are we to avoid the way of the sluggard when it comes to our time in God's word? How do we do it? We must get to work and start training. We must deny our flesh and feed our souls. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He said, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, all right, all y'all hit in the gym, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. doesn't matter how much you end up benching. That body's going to deteriorate and go into the ground and turn to dust. What is the priority? The thing that benefits you tremendously in this life and the life to come. Things of eternal importance. How, how often do we see people say, ah, this is the year I'm going to get into shape. And they give, them, they give so much time and rigorous attention and, and effort towards getting healthy. Whatever it is, the, the diet, the working out. Oh, how much people can do that and, 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 and work through the pain and the sweat or the, the hunger because you're you know, not eating that really tasty food anymore. right? You're willing to do all that for, for this body but you're not willing to do that kind of effort for your soul, which is far more important. I mean, who cares about your abs or your figure, right? I mean, hey, tend to that, great, awesome. Don't neglect it, but don't neglect your soul. And guess what? We, we need to enter into training if we want to have, make this happen, if we want to honor the Lord in this way. And as we do it, the more you give yourself to reading God's word, the more you'll grow, not only as a Christian, but also as a reader. So you don't, to, the wrong application is, I kind of struggle with reading, but I know I need to do that. Okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to start reading 20 chapters a day. Ah, too much, too much. To just pace it, right? One step at a time. But the more you give yourself, you start, and the more you give yourself to it, you will grow. Not only as a Christian, but also as a reader. 
And the more you do that, the more you'll delight in God's word, and you'll look to it as daily sustenance and nourishment for your soul. You will share the sentiment of Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So get to, get to it, and you will grow in it, and your, your affections will grow, and you will delight in the word of God, and that will drive you to be in it more and more, day and night. And as a final note, we must not forget that we are called to be doers of God's word and not hearers only. Not hearers only. However, as I previous mention, we, we must also not forget that we will not be doers of the word apart from hearing it, reading it, learning it, and reflecting upon it. To let this sink in our thoughts again, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers let's pray father thank you for this morning we thank you for this church this this assembly of your saints being able to come together to worship you praise you learn from you father help us all to devote ourselves to reading and meditating upon your word regularly, regularly and often so that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of Christ Jesus, your son, and be equipped for every good work. Amen.